Good evening. It's good to be together this Lord's Day. This is the first time I'm getting to assemble with you here at Westside for today. I was finishing a gospel meeting with the Mulvane congregation, and it was an odd experience to be in the area, but not here this morning. But it is good to be back home. I appreciate the uh, interest that many of you have asked in how the meeting went, and and those who came out and heard me preach, you were just, <clears throat> I don't know, you, you were just gluttons for punishment, I suppose. But I appreciate, nevertheless, the support that you showed to me and to the congregation down there. I know they appreciated it as well. You would be turning in your Bibles to the book of Romans in the 8th chapter. And Romans chapter 8 is where we will be studying in just a few moments. And trying to help us understand where Paul is coming from here in Romans chapter 8, we're going to sort of do the 30,000 foot overview of what the book of Romans is about that we need to understand it in its context. In this letter, Paul is really trying to demonstrate the faithfulness of God to all people, that God in His infinite wisdom and His plan, He has determined that all people, Jew and Gentile, will be saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that through Jesus and His death, that salvation is made available for all people. In chapters 1-3, through three, it's really sort of a, a large section in the book of Romans, and it is about the fact that all have sinned. If you want to just quickly summarize what the first three chapters of the book of Romans, it's about, it's Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, when he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jew and Gentile, everyone is guilty, and because of that, everyone is therefore in need of God's grace and God's salvation. Everyone needs the gospel. That's what Paul is trying to convey in the first three chapters of Romans. And then you come to chapter 4. You come to chapter 4 of the book of Romans, and Paul appeals to the example of Abraham and how Abraham walked by faith, and how Abraham was this prototype. He is the exemplar of what it is to demonstrate faithfulness and obedient faith, a faith that relies upon God and His Word and His promises. And so you get that picture in Romans chapter 4 that we are actually saved by the same kind of faith that Abraham has. At the end of chapter 4, and it says in verse 23, not Now not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also that Abraham, that he serves as this example that we need to look to for understanding of what it is to live by faith. In Romans chapter 5, Paul then appeals to this notion of justification and righteousness and how God makes us right in His sight. And that He is the one that God, He has saved us from our sins, that we have followed in the steps of Adam, another example. But Adam is not the example of faith, he's the example of the first sinner that you have. And that He is the one who has sinned and we have transgressed and we have followed in His footsteps. And because of that, because all have sinned, we have all died unto God. That we are all dead unto God. That we, are <clears throat> we have committed sin, we have transgressed God's law, and we are 
in, under the reign of death, and there is the need of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And so you have the antithesis of Adam, and that is Jesus Himself. That Jesus, He came to bring life, and that through Jesus we have eternal life. We have salvation that we might have. And then you have chapter 6 through 8 where the Apostle Paul then really begins to describe the benefits and the blessings that we have in this new life because we are saved, because we have been transformed and redeemed, and we have been justified. Now we can begin to enjoy the blessings of this new life. And particularly in chapter 8, that's where Paul really begins to dig in a little bit here to what that means for each and every child of God. That as he tries to convey to us in chapter 8 and verse 1, uh, reading from the New American Standard Bible, he says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That there's no guilt, there's no condemnation that we once stood guilty. Now in Jesus, there's freedom. There's the release of guilt. There's the release of condemnation. And he goes on in verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. That the Gospel, the law of the Spirit, it has set us free. And he goes on in verse uh, 5, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. And so you come to this idea, this notion that there is life and peace found in Jesus Christ through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is really trying to hone in on in the book of Romans and particularly in this chapter that as a child of God, we have a life, we have eternal life, we have hope. And we have peace with God. And then you come to verses 9 through 11. And this is really the text that I want us to use, particularly verse 11, for our study tonight. When he says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. And then notice in particular verse 11. He says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. In you. Title of our study tonight is Three Resurrections. And I believe here in Romans chapter 8 and in verse 11, you have three resurrections that are mentioned or alluded to. And the first one, I believe, is pretty obvious in verse 11. He says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that this resurrection of Jesus is an assurance and promise to us and that this is fundamental, it's foundational to our belief and our faith in God. The resurrection of Jesus is critical to who we are as children of God. And it has several 
different implications. If you go back to chapter 1 in Romans, in Romans chapter 1, at the very beginning of the book, as Paul is introducing himself, as he is introducing who he is as an apostle, that he has this uh, apostolic authority, that he is one who has been sent from God, declaring this message. And he says this gospel, this message that he is preaching, it is about Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 3, he says concerning his son that the gospel is about or concerning his son who is born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who is declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Here from the very get-go of the book of Romans, we have the importance and the significance of the resurrection of Jesus, that he's trying to get us to see that the gospel, it is about Jesus. And one of the most fundamental things of the gospel is the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. Because that becomes the foundation for everything else that we might see throughout here. In Romans chapter 4, after Paul has been talking about Abraham and his faith, he tells us in verse 23, in Romans chapter 4 and verse 23, Now not for his sake only was it written that it was credited him, but for our sake also to whom it will be credited, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. That Paul, he's trying to get us to see that we need to look to Abraham as an example of what it means to believe. But for us, what faith means is that we have our trust and our confidence and our whole life. It revolves around the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead. And that, that resurrection, it becomes the foundation and the fundamental point of which God is able to save us and justify us and make us righteous. That is so important for us to understand about the resurrection of Jesus. And so whenever we make that good confession before we are baptized into Christ, when we declare that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins and was raised on the third day. That is no small thing. It has enormous implications and import for the rest of our lives. So much so that Paul would go on in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, as he begins to ask several questions Notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and in verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who also intercedes for us. Remember the point that Paul began with. That declaration that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not just that our... Lord and our Savior died for us. That's very important. But even more so is the fact that He was raised from the dead. 
Sometimes we sing the song, I think it's He Lives. And it says, We serve a risen Savior. And we praise God for having raised Jesus from the dead because that is the one for whom our salvation comes. Because of the power of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 7, in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul is talking about how we are no longer under the law of Moses but how we are joined to Christ. And notice what he says in verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to Him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. That we are joined to the One who has been raised. And that's going to become significant for our next point. But what we need to understand first and foremost is that the importance of Jesus' resurrection should never escape our attention. Jesus was raised from the dead in order to give us new life. But then turning back to Romans chapter 8 and in verse 11, where Paul says, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you... He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. That phrase that Paul uses, that the Spirit of Him dwells in you. Since Jesus was raised from the dead to give us new life, that we might be joined to Him, Paul is reminding us by implication here of our spiritual resurrection. The resurrection unto newness of life. Earlier in chapter 8 of Romans, verse 1, when he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Notice that connection in the Spirit that is mentioned that the law of the Spirit, the Gospel, the revelation that has come from the Spirit, that has set us free. He goes on to describe how we are not to have our mind focus on the things of the flesh, but the things of the Spirit. He says in verse 6, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Those who are no longer condemned, they have life and peace. And as children of God, those are the blessings that we have. But notice what he's trying to connect here for us. That we have the Spirit because we are in Christ. And it's extremely important for us to understand and to recognize in this text that we have the Spirit that dwells in us because we are connected to Christ. Notice in verse 2, he says, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. 
Have you ever asked yourself or wondered how can you be in someone else? Uh, that, that's kind of a unique coin, a phrase there that Paul is using, isn't it? And we are in Christ Jesus. In chapter 7 and verse 4, as we already looked at, he says that we might be joined to another to Him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. That we are joined to Christ. And all of this should be very reminiscent of the idea of what is conveyed in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, when Paul says, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? How are we connected to Christ? How are we joined with Christ? How do we place ourselves in Christ? Paul says it's in baptism. It's in immersion. That is when we are in Christ Jesus. That is when we are baptized into Christ Jesus. That is when we have been baptized into His death. And he goes on in verse 4, Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And what Paul is trying to help us understand is that there is a connection to the resurrection of Jesus and our own salvation. That when we are raised, when we are joined with Him in baptism and raised, we are raised in newness of life. That that is a resurrection. And as Paul is trying to get us to see in Romans chapter 8, is when we are in Christ that we have the Spirit that dwells in us. And that's the second resurrection that I believe is at least implied or alluded to here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. And it becomes very clear that the brethren in Rome, they enjoyed resurrection life. That they were enjoying the fact that they had been connected with Christ and united in Jesus' resurrection. Notice what Paul says in chapter 6 and verse 5 of Romans. He says, For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For He who has died is freed from sin. The implication behind our own resurrection and our spiritual resurrection in our baptism is that we have been granted new life and that means all sorts of things. But especially for Paul's interest in Romans chapter 6 is that means that we are no longer a slave to sin. We are to have put that old man of sin to death. That we buried him and he remains dead and buried. We don't keep him on life support. We don't keep him around, but we use, we put him to death. 
And that we remove the sin and the wickedness from our life. And all of that is made possible by the grace of God. Sometimes I think we do ourselves a disservice and we sort of cheapen and dilute God's grace. What I mean by that is what is a popular notion among many of our denominational friends, especially those who are of the Calvinistic persuasion. They believe in what is called the imputation of the personal righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that becomes fundamental for a couple of their ideas, but what that is, is this doctrine, this notion that once you're saved, that you are you remain you still. And all of your sin and all the ugliness of sin and everything that you've ever done, that's really all still there. It's still a part of who you are. And Jesus just kind of covers you. It's kind of like this coat. If I had a stain on this shirt, well, you know, the nice thing about wearing a coat is that I can just hide that stain. That's kind of like what this doctrine is in the imputation of the personal righteousness of Jesus. You wouldn't know that there's a stain right here because you only see this coat. And that ties in with Calvinism very nicely because they believe in once saved, always saved. And the reason is that you can sin and do whatever kind of sin you might want to, but God doesn't see it. It really cheapens the grace of God because you know what? There's still a stain on that shirt, isn't there? But what God's grace actually does is that He changes you. While you were a sinner, while you were separated from God, He transformed you. As Paul would say in Romans chapter 8, in Romans chapter 8 and in verse 29, as he's describing those whom he has saved, it says in verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. That when God has saved us and he has made us righteous, it's not a righteousness of our own doing, but God has healed that which is broken. And He has made us to be conformed to look like Jesus. And it's interesting when you think about what Paul would say later in the book of Romans in chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12 and in verse 2, when he says to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And after we become a child of God, we are clean, we are washed, our sins are washed away in the waters of baptism. And all of that is done by the grace of God. And He makes us clean and whole. Don't cheapen the grace of God by thinking that, well, my sin's still there and He's just kind of covered it up. He made us new. He made us whole. 
when we were raised to newness of life. And all of that, of course, being connected with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is how that is even possible. And so that is the second resurrection that is mentioned in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. But then there is a third resurrection that is mentioned in this passage of Scripture. In Romans chapter 8 and in verse 11, Paul says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. You notice what he says there? That just as Jesus was raised from the dead, that's also going to happen to you. That He will give life to your mortal bodies. You think about the resurrection of our body. That is what I believe the Apostle Paul is alluding to here. That whenever you think about what Jesus and His resurrection, remember when Peter and the women and others went to the tomb and they saw, what did they see? And just saw the linen in there. Because the body of Jesus was raised. Life was brought back into Him. And that, I believe, is what Paul is trying to get us to understand. That just as what he says in Romans chapter 5, that there is redemption for our soul. Because we have sinned, we have transgressed while we were dead in our sins, there is life in Jesus Christ. That is spiritual life. What Paul is trying to get us to see in Romans chapter 8 is that because you have been transformed, you have been saved, there is something else that is going to take place. Notice in verse 11, he says that this will also give life to your mortal bodies. That's future tense, isn't it? Now, this is something that is yet to have happened, that this will happen in our future. At the end of this section in Romans chapter 8, and verses 24 and 25, notice what Paul says. In Romans 8, 24 and 25, he says, For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. There's an element here that we have not yet received. That's called hope. Hope is a desire plus expectation. It's something that we have not yet received. There's something still to happen. That we're still waiting. A little bit earlier in verse 18... Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's something that we are still striving for. There's something that we are still waiting for. What is that? He tells us in verse 23, And not only this, but also we ourselves 
having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. We're waiting for this body to be transformed. Our soul has been saved. We have been transformed on the inside, haven't we? We're waiting for this body to undergo its great transformation. And he likens that to our adoption as sons. I know there's many people here who are familiar with the process of adoption, but we adopted Zeke and we had him three days after his birth. He was with us every day since then. But you know, we had to wait nearly a whole year before we stood before a judge when that judge declared him to be Zachariah Samuel Cavender. We had to wait nearly a whole year. He was ours. His birth mother had given terminated parental rights and all the, that kind of thing. All the legal process had already been in motion but there was still that final step that needed to take place. In many ways, that's what we're still waiting for, isn't it? God has started the process that we are saved, we are His children, but we're awaiting that finalization day when we're going to stand before the judge. When our body will be redeemed. When we will be taken to glory and all the sorts of things that Paul talks about, the pain and the anguish, as he mentions in this chapter, and later on in verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? All of those things will come to an end and we will be victorious. Death will be conquered. And it's not just the redemption of our soul, it's going to be the redemption of our body that we are awaiting. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul describes the resurrection in great detail. In 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, when Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and they have some who are kind of denying the idea of a resurrection, of a bodily resurrection. And in verse 35, Paul begins to address that and he says, but someone will say, how are the dead raised and with what kind of body do they come? And he says, you fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain perhaps of wheat or of something else, but God gives it a body just as He wished. How does it take place? It's by the power of God. If God could form from the dust of the earth and breathe life into that body and Adam become a life-living person, a life-giving spirit, if God can do that one time, then He can do it again. After this body grows corrupted and returns to the dust of the earth, God can do it again. 
And he goes on to help us see that there's going to be the transformation of the body. And it's not going to just be what we are now. Our body gets sick, it grows old, it gets weak. And he says in verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And what he's talking about there when he says that it's a spiritual body, it's that this is, our body is going to be transformed to be suitable to dwell in that spiritual eternal realm. He goes on at the end of the chapter in verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. We are awaiting that great and final transformation when Jesus returns again. In John chapter 5, in John, the fifth chapter. In John chapter 5, Jesus speaks about His second coming. What will take place at the judgment day. In John chapter 5, in verse 28, He says, Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. When Jesus returns from the child of God, we will be raised. And Jesus here, He speaks about two resurrections. Not that there's going to be two different resurrections over a period of time or something like that. He's talking about the quality of the resurrection. And it will be a resurrection unto life or it will be a resurrection unto judgment. And for the child of God, We have the hope of eternal life. A resurrection unto life where we will dwell with God for all of eternity. It should give great comfort to each and every one of us. Because death is a reality. It's a part of life that we are probably reminded of each and every day. As we grow older, we have the hope that we will be raised. That the body in all its frailness, all its sickness, all its pain, one day we can look forward to all of that going away. When our body is changed and redeemed. However, what Jesus also warns us about is that it's not just the righteous 
who will be raised from the dead. It will be all people who are raised from the dead. Those who have done good and those who have done evil. And those whose lives are not right with God. They will face a resurrection of a different sort, of a different kind, of a different quality. A resurrection of judgment. And you have a choice that you can make tonight of which resurrection you will be part of. You want to have a resurrection unto eternal life or a resurrection unto condemnation and eternal destruction in hell. That's not the end that I want. I don't think it's the end that you want. And praise God for the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul is defending and helping us understand in the book of Romans that the Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also raise us from the dead. When Christ returns, we will be raised. And we need to be ready for that day. And if you want to be ready for that day, and you need to undergo your own spiritual transformation and your own resurrection. If you've never responded in obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you need to be baptized. We would encourage you to become a child of God tonight before it's eternally too late so that you can be joined together with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. If you've already made that commitment, but you've not been living faithfully for God, and will you not make your life right tonight? Don't wait any longer. If we can help you in some way, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?